Hi, and welcome to More Confidence with Luna Gaia. I am your host, Lenaria, and in this podcast, we talk all things self love, confidence, self esteem. How do you overcome negative thoughts? How do you feel about yourself and your body image? I dive into all of these topics because I live and breathe them. I'm a coach, speaker, healer, and NLP practitioner. And here at More Confidence with Luna Gaia, I am passionate about delivering as much possible information that I can to you to help you to come back into wholeness and remember that you are love. I hope that you enjoy this show and get so much value out of it. If you do, please feel welcome to share the love with somebody else. Leave me a comment, leave me a rating, and you can follow me on any of the social medias. I'm on practically all of them. Let's get stuck into today's episode. Today's episode is a little bit special because here I have shared with you my book launch of my number one best-selling book, Perfectly Imperfect. It is available now, signed copies on my website, and all the details are in the bio. So enjoy a beautiful couple of hours of music, poetry, art, and creation, all designed to get you closer to your own self-love. Enjoy. Ready for the party? Is she coming on? Hi, girls, ladies, women. Hi, everyone. My name's Bridget. You're very excited uh, to get things started, but we'll just be a few minutes. We'll wait for a few more people to come. Luna has asked me to just welcome everyone and hold the space. So, thank you for your enthusiasm and just hold tight. It's only just after 7.30, yeah. so we'll just hang on a couple more minutes. I'm always on time. I'm Hello, Kate. Hello, Kate. It's Amanda. Hello, Amanda. How are you? I'm good. How it's are really you? It's exciting, isn't it? Oh, wonderful. So, so proud. I know. It's incredible, isn't it? Really incredible. I've got my little thingies. <laughs> Come on, Luna. <laughs> Where are Sorry. the boys? Beg your pardon? Where are the boys? Oh, who knows? <laughs> I'm here. That's all that's important. <laughs> you look great. Yeah, thank you. You too. 
I know. And there's Joe. Hello, Joe. Joe probably can't. Oh, she can hear me. Yeah, you're all on mute. I'm a dude. I, uh, I'm coming to see Ange perform. Oh, brilliant. So great. Okay, we're just only just like one more minute and we'll be ready to go. And um, if I could please just ask everyone to be on mute just for this final moment while um, Luna gets ready to join us. So we're almost there, folks. Hang in there. I'm sure there'll be time for us to chat with each other soon as well. There we go. Okay. Just waiting for the green light. Okay, good. I've got it. All right. I think we're ready. Hello, everyone. Um, I introduced myself earlier, but if you missed that, my name is Bridget Morgan. Uh, it's an absolute delight to, um, to be here for Lunaria Gaia's book launch as a published author. Um, she is an incredibly inspiring human. I, um, I have the honor to introduce her, so she'll, she'll join us in just a moment. But I want to share a little tiny story of how I met her. I've known her for many years now. And I first came across her at a festival where she was speaking on this very topic around uh, body image and self-love and self-confidence. And in the room, uh, like in this tent at this, this festival, I wasn't sure if I, you know, what was going on but I was like oh check it out and I was riveted from the moment she opened her mouth the whole time through this workshop and in the end she was doing this you know amazing radical things like taking off her clothes and going down into her underwear and just basically celebrating the embodiment of being a human and the power and the beauty of that and I think the whole place was in tears. We were all just so um, inspired by her courage and her ability to love herself so much that, yeah, that, you know, she wanted to instill that change for others as well. And I pretty much followed up working with her one-on-one -on -one after that. And I can honestly say that she has changed my life for the better. And I will continue to work with her for the rest of my life. I often say that to her joking. So I just keep leveling up and that keeps her on her toes as well, which is great. So how wonderful and amazing that she's been on this journey to write a book to share all of her knowledge and her experience and the incredible journey that she's been on. So I'm sure she'll tell us all about it. And I don't want to take up too much space. I will be sharing a little tiny um, poem in a moment to kick off the night, but without any further ado, please put your um, sparkle fingers, wavy hands on your screens together for Lenaria Gaia. Hello. Hello, welcome everybody. Oh my gosh, it is so wonderful to be here. It's my book launch, you everybody. I'm trying to get my, make sure that you can see the, the bits that are behind me. My book is out, perfectly imperfect. Thank you, Bridget. What a beautiful introduction. Wow. And we have we have worked together. And you so very often say to me, you're like, oh, we're going to be working together forever. And I'm like, I'm down for it, you know. And, and Bridget is completely right. She keeps me on my toes because as she levels up, I have to keep leveling up. And, and there's many of my phenomenal clients and workshop participants here tonight as well, as well as my many friends and my 
midwife who helped deliver the baby earlier this year. Thank you, Amanda, for being here. Thank you, thank you, everyone, my fellow authors. It's just, I'm so excited to be here. So thank you, everyone. We've got a beautiful night full of entertainment that's going to come your way, including and starting with the amazing Bridget Morgan. So, B, if you would like to come on and do your piece, I would be so honoured to hear what you have for me today. Thank you so much, Luna. Yeah, so... So basically, yeah, she, um, like I, I didn't, I failed to say in the um, introduction how much she's done as a speaker and a teacher and a coach and um, all over inspiring human. Um, but on the topic of uh, celebrating what her book is, um, I guess, diving into, I haven't read it. I have got my Amazon copy, though. I got that this afternoon. Thank you very much. I'm also going to get my hands on a paperback as soon as that's ready because uh, that needs to be on the shelf. Anyway, without um, going too much more, I will share a poem on topic that uh, was inspired during um, yeah, the course of my work with Luna in this particular area. And it's called, Why Did the Giant Want to Be Small? Because she lived in a time when tiny was idealized, glorified, the ultimate prize, the only way to be. And she, she was not tiny. Because she was told she was wrong, disordered, clumsy, bulky, misshapen entity, she never realized who she could be. She lived in a world where tiny was perfection, but she ripped at the seams of her being. She didn't fit those dimensions. All she saw was tiny and the frame didn't fit. So she learned to hate, wrestle for less of her, spit away food, hunger and pain, causing gain down the spiral of shame. She fought, wishing there was less of her, less, 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 the mass of her mess, peeling flesh, carving away pieces of her body, anything to stay tiny, but she was never tiny. The giant wanted to be tiny because tiny ones were welcomed, tiny ones adored. She longed for the day when she would not be shamed by the complex landscape of her shape. Why her curves and contours dictated her fate. She couldn't understand why her form caused so much hate. Weight held her imprisoned, but she was so conditioned she'd try anything to fit in. Pressing, squeezing, mashing, starving, throwing, thrashing, pills and potions, slashing, ripping, trending notions, running, wasting, cunning, praying, waiting, wanting, quiet hauntings, lonely, desperate, silent. The giant wanted to be tiny because she wanted to be seen, accepted loved, not rejected. So she spent her whole life trying to be something she never was. So she was never free of wanting to be tiny, of wanting and waiting and wanting and trying and punishing and denying. And when you spend your whole life trying to be what you're not, you only break your own heart Forget who you are, never find who you can be, never realize there's not just one way to be, never realize that you were always worthy. 
Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Do I have a box of tissues on hand? I didn't realize that I might, uh, Bridget, that was, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but that was exquisite for me. I just to hear, to hear your words and, and also I suppose, Bridget, for me to, to know you very personally as well and to know and to know what it's taken for you to, to be able to write something like that and, and mean it. You know, I, I, for those of you who didn't see my live this afternoon, I, this, this is more than just a book for me. And I, and I know that a book is a big deal irrelevant of your book. It's a big deal no matter what. It's so personal for me. And it's so personal for the people who, who I have impacted in my life. It's so personal for the people that I would love to continue to impact in my life through this work because the reality is, is that how many of us as women are clients who, who, who demand ourselves to be small? And I know that men experience that too because we have this innate world that tells us that who we are is either too much and not enough simultaneously. At the same time, how is that even possible? Yet it does because there is this images of perfection that we need to be something that we're not. And that is why I call my book Perfectly Imperfect because, my friends, we are that. We are entirely perfectly imperfect. There is absolutely nothing wrong with us. And if there is one moment that, that I've shared with many of my clients is, is the moment when they realise that they're not broken. My friends, you're not broken. There is absolutely everything right with you. Everything is right with you. Everything is good with you already. And what stops us from loving ourselves is not, is not the things on the outside. It's not our body. It's not our job. It's not our marital status or our money. What stops us from loving ourselves is the way that we think and the beliefs that we have been programmed to believe in the world. And in, which am I doing? In this very book, I literally give you, it is a bumper of a book, by the way. It is, look at the size of this puppy. There, <laughs> there, this is giant, baby. This is giant because it is your complete guide to loving yourself and loving your body. When I, when I say that, I mean it so wholeheartedly because I have given everything that I've learned over the last 15 years of learning how to love myself and all of the things that I've taught others and I've chucked it into this book. So if you have not yet gone to your Amazon store, your local Amazon store, I think most of us are from Australia, please do. You can get this digital copy for 99 cents, which is a bloody steal. Look at how thick that puppy is. You get to save yourself so, so much time and so much energy and just please get on board. I am pushing for number one and I would love your support. If there's people out there that you know would get a lot of value out of a book like this, please let me know. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Bridget. I love it. We have, we have a killer night coming up. In, and thank you to Bridget for, for kicking us off this evening. Right now, we have the one and only. We have Natalie Jeffries. Now, Natalie Jeffries is here already. Very exciting. She's a screen composer, singer-songwriter, and spoken word poet. She's particularly passionate about scoring female-led films. Yes. Her work includes collaborations with award-winning Jay Monk Vision of the Online series Super Jenny with La Mama Theatre, the short film River Hags, and short film Hansel's and Gretel. 
She's currently working on the feature film Burning In, three-quarter film. This year, she was awarded the APRA MCOS Mentorship for Women in Screen and Games to be mentored under Kevin Perkin, composer for Star Wars Visions. Oh, my goodness. In 2018, she won the Melbourne Spoken Word Prize for the performance of her poem, The Purity of Sadness, and was runner-up in Slamma Lama Ding Dong's Gender Outlaw Gender Outlaw Slam. Also in 2018, she founded Puddle Dog Productions, a business where she writes personalised songs for gifts. This is super, super exciting. As soon as I can find, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit echoey. Ah, that's because Natalie's online. Here we go. <laughs> Natalie, I am going to mute myself. Please welcome to the stage, Natalie, and I believe you can introduce the, the delightful human that is next to you. Welcome. Yes. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Natalie. This is my husband, Mina Shemaili. I think a lot of people in the poetry community would definitely um, be familiar with Mina. He's one of the veterans of the Mel... Well, sorry. <laughs> veterans, if you call the last 10 years. <laughs> if that's how... If that's what... I, I think Steve Smart wants to have a word with you. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say. I think Libby Charlton wants to have a word with you. He was the veteran of Slamma Lama Ding Dong. That's, that's how I'll say it. Um, can you all hear us properly? Can you give Cause... us a thumbs up? Or... Cool. Yeah, right. awesome. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, Mina's helping me with the uh, music today. Um, with my... Uh, I, I'm, fe I'm feeling a, the the body positivity today i've got to kind of encourage myself with my carpal tunnel hands in splits <laughs> so mina's taking over the guitar for me which is really <laughs> lovely um all right we we should get into it uh so <laughs> actually this was really well timed i wrote this song uh a couple of days ago actually i it's not my first gray hair but i found my first gray hair in a while this week I found my first grey hair when I was actually 14. So I've been prepared for a while, um, but it's come at a good time. And I actually wanted to talk about, uh, with this song, with body positivity in terms of ageing, because uh, that's been something I've been thinking a lot about recently, just about the way that uh, society doesn't give you... <sighs> needs it needs to give us more to look forward to in looking forward to aging i think particularly women we need to look forward to how we age and um look looking forward to being more mature and embracing wrinkles and 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 gray hairs and all that so this this song is called gray hair <clears throat> Such a sad kid as soon as 
you try to be young again You just found your first grey hair It's not easy to cling to your youth When you have one to let go of It's easy not to be scared to age When you're not shown getting old Means being afraid still be young explore the joy that you hid yourself from that they told you was wrong oh old soul let skin wrinkle fill your soul come of age spider veins painted on your flesh picture frame your gray hairs are worth a Wait. Lie back, let the years wash over you, turn wrinkles into ripples. Those fading eyes are healing you. Let them be your rose-colored glasses. Oh, young soul, get old and still be young. Explore the joy that you hid yourself from, that they told you was wrong. Because, you know, we, there's this thing in, in modern world that tells us that we need to be thin and young forever. But our power comes when we take up Mother Earth in space and we become the beautiful crones that we will become, you know. Like there is this amazing thing that happens, you know, when we age, we have wisdom. In two weeks, I'll be 38, which is 20 years from 18, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. So thank you. No, you have another is that are you here to do another is that what we had agreed or is it we don't so, only one we, well you tell me if we have enough time so i had one song one poem and another song to finish off but if you want one more thing then we can do that no let's let's go for it so go go hit, hit us up with a poem and a song and that would be wonderful Cool. all right our, our, our next artist felicity may is here and, and she will um she will be on at about eight o'clock so we've got about six or seven minutes Perfect. If you have not gone and bought my book yet, Perfectly Imperfect, Your Complete Guide to Loving Yourself and Loving Your Body, please go do it now for 99 cents. Over to you. 
Perfect. Um, so this one is called The Aftershot. This is very much on topic, very close to my heart. Uh, as uh, someone who's been overweight for most of their life and also grew up in, in, in the wake of heroin chic, I would say that uh, body positivity is something that's been sorely needed. So uh, this was part of the dirty... The Dirty 30, if 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 you there's poets in the crowd, you would probably know that. It's a challenge in April. Uh, it's a challenge in April. So I just saw some spirit fingers from Felice Malay. Um, uh, uh, it's a challenge in April to write poems on prompts. And this prompt was specifically about body positivity. And so, yes, this is called The Aftershot. <clears throat> Today will be different. I am the aftershot. She stood in the same spot every day, centre stage, one metre from the hanging mirror, behind closed doors. She habitated there. She hibernated there. So frequently that the carpet was dense and raw with spite. In that spot, she indulged in the thrill of self-deprecation. It's the only way you will learn. In that spot, she relented against grace, scanned for new flaws, and found a way to expedite them to herself. The sooner I know about them, the sooner I can hide them. More often than not, she resorted to staring into her own eyes, searching for lost tenderness, ignoring the residue of pinched blackheads which had built up on the mirror over far too long. Today was different. She wiped the mirror of disdain with a mix of gumption and Windex. Today I am the aftershot. She attempted to view her body as if she had changed it to be this way. The before shot was a naked Barbie doll. Not for its slenderness, it's no crime to be slender, but for its plasticity, its placidity. First, she stretched her waist so that she slept. As she slept, the rolls of tissue on her torso could embrace itself like a riptide. Everyone's favourite part of the muffin is the top. Why wouldn't I want to remind them of that? Next, she'll shrink her boobs, shrink not expand. No matter how much she grows in any other way, they will stay the same. And she will love their constant presence and their absurdity all the more. She pencil etches stretch marks into places that she didn't know were possible. Her hips, her breasts, her arms, the backs of her knees. They are her tattooed tiger stripes. She wants to remember how she has grown. She separates her virginity from her appearance, but scalpel slices the shame from her virginity. Virginity does not mean naivety, sex does not mean joy, but when she does lose her virginity, it will add another shade of vivid acrylic to her soul. But for that moment, she was a black and white photograph, bold, stoic, powerful, beautiful, raw. 
She would also refuse to say that she lost her virginity when the time comes because she will know very damn well where she left it. She adds bright red watercolours to her cheeks. She will show her passion. She drapes premature grey hair. She will show her wisdom. She moulds faded scars. She will show her pain and she will show her healing. She separates the dense carpet with her toes. She avoids, she avoids eye contact with herself for all the right reasons. Look at your home, my love. Fists rest on tiger stripe tips. Cellulite on sagging abdomen ripples. Prickly legs goosebump. Loose neck expands as she sighs with delight. Today I am the aftershot. Today I am fine. Ah, oh, sorry, continue. <laughs> sorry, I've been waved again. Uh, um, oh, I don't have the mouse. Um, so, uh, this one is definite. I thought we should end it off with something that's a little bit more peppy, a little bit more energetic, because I think this is, this is something to celebrate. It's always something to celebrate when... Oh, it's 8pm, though, so tell me, Luna, if you, if you just need to move on. Um, I think that if Felice is okay with just what, having one more song, Felice, is that cool? We've got our thumbs up, so you're all good. Go for it. Well, it's not my own song. This is. Please go for it. Please go for it. This is. I I figured body positivity. I I want to pay tribute to the queen of confident big girl, uh, Lizzo. I love her so much. Um, <laughs> so we are gonna sing Juice. Feel free to party along.
David, you ain't being slick. Don't dare try Copperfield. The juice ain't worth the squeeze if the juice don't look like this. Hold up. If I'm shining, everybody, everybody gonna shine. I was born like this. Don't even gotta try. Unlike Chardonnay, get better over time. Heard you say I'm not the baddest bitch. You lie. Ain't my fault that I'm out here getting loose. Gotta blame it on the goose. Gotta blame it on the juice, baby. Ain't my fault that I'm out here making news on the pudding and the poop. Gotta blame it on my juice. souls for being here tonight to share your love and your music and your poetry and Mina as well and both yeah like you know collab it's all her I love that making his queen shine 100 percent I'm gonna pop I'm gonna pop you guys on mute so that now go for it yeah actually if you guys could I've got quite a big yeah if you could that would be amazing thank you just give me an echo yeah legend thank you Mina thank you Natalie, that was absolutely brilliant. You guys, I'm so excited. I've just been told that my book has just gone at number one in five categories on Amazon at the moment. Right now, it's gone <laughs> on five categories. I'm a number one bestseller. So I am so super excited. Thank you for everybody. And please, if you haven't yet gone and bought your book, Perfectly Imperfect, <laughs> you're not yet. Yeah, the number one best-selling book, by the way. If you have not yet gone and do that, please go do it. The link is the link is for you there in the chats and all over my social media. So if you are watching on TikTok, if you are watching on on the Facebook, then please, please just just go check it out. I would absolutely love it. Thank you. Now we have an incredible artist, an incredible poet. I remember the first time I ever saw Fleecy Malane and she changed my whole freaking world. I, I have to say this. I had never known that, that words could be so powerful spoken. I, I saw her at the Seven Sisters Festival. I was in the room after presenting the very first time that Bridget was talking about, about me going naked, and I was running on high. It was the first time I ever got to do that, and I walked into 
the tent to go, what's this mother tongue business all about? And there's Felicity May and she delivered. And I, I was in awe. I just, I sat there in awe. The experience that I think that people had of me, I then got to have watching Felicity. I was like, who is this powerhouse? She is a two times TEDx speaker, a viral poet, and I am ridiculously thrilled and excited to have her here. So please, please welcome to the stage, Felicity Millay. Hello, hello beauties. Hello. I'm just gonna swipe my phone so I can see some faces. Oh, Rebecca, I'm finding your backdrop incredibly creative. Like it makes me want to do creative things. I just wanted you to know that. I keep looking at it and getting the desire. So if that was your intention, it's there. Thank you so much for having me for your book launch. Um, and what a beautiful thing it is to be around so many other wonderful artists. I just, Mina and Natalie, I love you both so much. Uh, as you know, I get a big kick out of your relationship. I live, I live your, your relationship vicariously through Facebook and I adore it. So thank you for being here. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of pieces to share. I might just dive into them. I have a lot of attitude. <laughs> the body positivity comes for me with a deep acknowledgement of why we need body positivity. And that's because there's such bullshit out there framing our bodies and our opinions. My body, my body, my, my body. Take your hands off my body my curves my lumps my cellulite stretch marks or retch marks my growth my mistakes my muscle my fat my tired racehorse my overgrown garden my golden moments my aging fortress my body is not your story to tell not your marketing opportunity, not your below the fold, buy in, get one free, cut away the shame, cut away the shame, cut away the shame, blame her chips, blame her dips, blame her self-hate, blame her thin lips, blame her, blame her, blame her. Why are we still blaming her for carrying the scars of a system that leads with a razor wire leash? A system that wrote her out of every story, cancelled Lilith, airbrushed Eve, made us wife or whore, made us either way property, either way property, either way I'm not your property. To renovate, to decorate, to cut away our shame. Take your hands off my body. My body. No vouchers, no gift tokens. My body is not for sale. My body, my body, my body. My rolling temple, my safe place, my well-leavened loaf, my collection of truths, my culmination of memories, my sculpted clay, my Thursday afternoon, my orgasms, my pink flush, my thighs, my tummy rolls, my tear-stained cheeks, my wild hair, my pubic beauty, my body, my body, my body. Take your hands off my body. Thank you. 
Something that's been really playing for me um, around body identity and body politics is the role that we play. I, my identity, my gender is I'm a gender fluid woman. That means I'm gender diverse, but I mostly feel and live and exist as woman in my body and my existence. I was also raised and socialized as a woman, which means I have a lot of this stuff deep inside me. And um, one of the things that's really played into my thoughts around body positivity is the role that we play as women with our internalized misogyny. So that is the stories that we carry, that we have been told our whole lives, that we then carry and put out on other women and put onto ourselves. So it's so easy to blame media and to blame you know, the male gaze and to blame the, the, the external world, but we do it to each other all the time. And this next piece uh, was a piece that I wrote with that in mind. And it was actually in response to a very well-followed woman on Instagram who um, posts a lot of feminist stuff and one of her pieces was very slut shamey and I was horrified. And I made a very gentle post saying, hey, this is just a reply saying this is quite slut shamey actually. And the amount of people that replied, women who replied, backing up the statement that if you show your body, if you wear minimal clothing, that that is not empowering. And actually we're confusing empowerment with confidence. What do we know about empowerment and this sort of stuff? So um, yeah, so I, I, anyway, I'm not gonna go into the depth of that conversation that I then not had, but this is the poem that came from it. Her body is not your dumping ground. To disregard your shame, to litter, your opinions, she is not there for you to police, to objectify, to eradicate her choices, to decide what makes her worthy. You, you do not get to decide what makes another woman strong. For generations, we have battled against systems, have taught us to battle against sisters as if what we say to her isn't an aggression to ourselves. The mark of systemic oppression is taking the marginalized, telling them that they have power, handing them weapons and putting them on the front lines to destroy each other, fighting a war that was never intended to benefit them in the first place. So now we, we lash each other with tongues and looks and eyes, cast judgment in biblical proportions and tell ourselves that we are good women, good feminists, good girl, good girl, good girl, one hand patting us on the head, the other filling its coffers with profits procured from the perpetration of shame that we have done for it. Power, power doesn't waste its time silencing those that it wishes to control. It teaches us to silence ourselves and each other for it. Her body is not your dumping ground. To disregard your shame, to litter your opinions, she's not there for you to police, to objectify, to eradicate her choices, to decide what makes her worthy. Because every time you cast your sights upon her choices and load your opinions in your mouth, you fire another bullet at us all. You burn another woman at the stake as if we haven't lost enough this way already. And I get it, I do. I carry this war inside my head at all times, brainwashed into thinking that I am entitled to another woman's story. 
brainwashed into believing that a woman's worth is defined by her clothes, by her job, by her beauty, by her race, by her body, by her age. I hold other women up to a meter stick built on Barbie-like proportions, on unreachable standards, on paradoxical demands. I feel myself wanting to load my weapon, to throw my kindling onto the fire, to shut her down like some fucked up Pavlovian response that eventually starves us both. I feel that war within me, but I, I've plastered my mind in posters of defiance. So that every time I look towards those judgments, I see these words like a slogan of hope across my heart. Who profits from these thoughts? Who profits from these thoughts? And the answer is never me, it's never her. The answer is always that I have been unwillingly put on the front lines and that I am fodder in a war that I refuse to keep on fighting. The answer is always that she, she is doing the best she can in a system designed to rip her to shreds and I will not be another machete to her heart. The answer is always that she, she is beautiful and strong and radiant and making her own choices, just like me. Thank you, beautiful beings. Um, there was a request from our wonderful hostess with the mostess of the evening for me to do witches. So I will end with that poem and close up with that poem. Um, support writers what a great thing this is that here we are in lockdown and we're supporting writers and we're supporting new work so um go ahead support the writer go buy her book um Bridget I love you I just want to tell you that I can see you I love you so this poem some of you may have heard it some of you may have not um it was written in 2017 just before the Me Too went viral by about a few days before Me Too went viral um it, for me it has that same energy to it it's it came from that same place that when we all wanted to roar with this banner that Tarana Burke had brought to us this me too banner um that I roared a few days earlier onto my page <laughs> with this poem in the past they burned us because they thought we were witches just because we knew what to do with herbs outside of the kitchen, because we knew how to dance, how to seduce, how to pray. Because we moved with the cycles of the moon. In the past, they burned us alive because they knew that we are witches. So now we cast spells with our mouths, pieces of our hearts spill out. It is incredible. The power of a woman who is not afraid to say no. No, we won't sit any longer while you ponder on our rights, on our rights to give or not give life, on our rights to make another woman our wife, on our rights to be safe, to get paid an equal wage, to have a voice, you know, in a place where we might actually make a change. It is incredible. The amount of ways they have slayed to keep us small. If they could have, they probably would have burned us all, but they couldn't with fire. So they did it with words. They laid down laws to determine the amount of our worth they kept us in contracts they they kept us in contracts they oh my god 
they kept us in contracts. They broke open our circles. Oh my God, I'm forgetting the pollen people. I'm so sorry. It's been a really long time since I have performed. We love you, Felicity. We love you so much. You do. It's phenomenal. I love it. I love every piece. I love everything I'm, about you. I'm gonna you. go get it. I'm gonna go get my book, and I'm gonna come back. Gonna <laughs> one for a second, I will leave this poem hovering. <laughs> Please go do your thing. In the meantime, I mean, this song to me, as I said, one of the things that changed my life. We do have the beautiful Angela Faith coming up very, very soon. In just a moment, she will be coming and hanging out with us. I'm hoping that. Uh, because she's still around and she is happy to to be waiting a few minutes behind and coming up very soon we also do have the incredible Rashani and and beautiful two beautiful artists Angela Faith she is a performer a theatre maker and a artist from Melbourne and so once once beautiful Felice comes back we will we will do the thing and and Angela will come on as I said I've just been told that I've gone bestseller in in five different categories so so please if you haven't shared it as well if you haven't shared this around I would love you to you can see how important this is because this is not about me making money it's not about me about me getting Amazon bestseller so that I get to have the accolades and feel good about myself because I do that shit internally I've learned how to do it internal I don't need the outside world to, to confirm how amazing I am I am what I would love for us to do, and this is why I, I'm so passionate about this, is because what's important here, what's super, super important here is that people do it for themselves. I really, really want people to understand that they can learn how to do this for themselves. You can break free from the self-hate, the, the programming, the conditioning, the, 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 the generations of witches that have burnt, we can do this together and this is why I want this book to go out there so that the people who really need it people maybe like yourselves but people around there who don't think that they have a choice who are stuck in in the idea that they are still someone they still their body still belongs to somebody else so please go buy this book I believe Felicity is now back ready to rock and roll rock yeah. and roll I also wanted to say that if you did want to do it for the accolades and you did want to do it because it feels good, that's also 100% okay. And I'm just tired and we do not need to shame women for wanting to be loved as well. Thank and you. 100% support you for that. If you're feeling good about yourself, if you're feeling good because you're getting those accolades, fuck yes. And we yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the highlight there. I'm celebrating the shit out of something amazing that I did. I did yeah. something fucking incredible, you guys, and I'm celebrating the shit out of it. Thank you. Thanks, Felicity. I love it. I love it. Far away, the stage is yours. I'm going to drop in halfway through my poem. <laughs> it is incredible the amount of ways they have slayed to keep us full. If they could have, they probably would have burned us all, but they couldn't with fire, so they did it with words. Laid down laws to determine the amount of our worth. They kept us in contracts. They separated our circles, erased us from pages, and made labor-saving devices our saviors. It is incredible how quickly knowledge can fade, how much effort was invested to lead us astray, but we will not come quietly. Well, that is another thing they tried to take away, right? Our rights to exclaim our orgasms ecstatically, mm -mm, we will not come quietly. We will open our mouths 
souls, let our spells spill out, cast poetic prayers into the night so that every woman can hear the howl of her sister's delight, remind her that her voice deserves to be heard. Let our jaw drop, let our shame stop, let our bodies scream under the self-pleasure of what it means to be a woman who can speak freely. You see, words, they carry meaning. And they have fooled us for so long into believing that no means yes, so much so that I'm almost impressed, except, well, I finally discovered they're right. I've claimed back that no as mine. Because every no I throw against their forces is a yes I retain for my own self-worth. It is a spell I cast for my own protection. It is incredible. The power of a woman who is not afraid to say no. And this old witch, I'm done with broomsticks. I'm done with, now your plate. This witch knows that some knowledge just won't fade, that every woman is my sister, that through the hubble and the bubble and the toil and the trouble, we grow stronger when we cast our spells together, that we entered the fire. Now we rise from the ashes and we are holding our candles and we are lighting our matches so that the night becomes brighter and our voices can grow because we have remembered we are witches and we have learned to say no. Thank you, beautiful being. That is fire! Oh my gosh! Thank you. Holy shit, it's wonderful to have you in the space. Thank you. That was absolutely sensational. The passion, the fire, the all of it. I just thank you. Thank you for sharing, Lacey. I, it's such a pleasure to have you here. I appreciate you thank so much. Thank you for much. having me. I'll stick around as long as I can, but I have um, I have family and things happening that I need to get back to, but as I just want to fully support you all and hope you have thanks. a great evening. As you need to. Thank you for being here. Such a joy. Thank you so very much. Oh, I love it. Are you guys all enjoying this? I'm seeing stuff come through. I love it. Georgie Chinton is perfectly imperfect. Exactly what tonight's all about. Exactly. Yes, Georgie. That, that, you know, the piece is perfectly imperfect. The reality is, is that we're fallible and that's what makes us phenomenal. You know, that's, that's what's amazing. It's so good. I, I appreciate every single one of you being here. And for those of you on TikTok, you guys can't actually see this, but these guys are on TikTok live watching it at home. <laughs> so hello, TikTokers. I love it. Baby book, Perfectly Imperfect, coming out. Please go check it out when you can. Now we are running smidgy behind, but it's perfectly okay. I would love to introduce to you the next performer that is here. As I said, her name is Angela Faith. I met this incredible human and have had such exquisite experiences with this human. She is a performer, theatre maker and artist from Melbourne. Quirky, irreverent and boldly authentic, Angela Faith is an actor, writer and improviser with a passion for comedy and spreading joy. Earlier this year, she toured her first one-woman show, Too Much, for Adelaide Fringe and Midsummer Festival. And now, lockdown in Melbourne, she spends most of her time training her boyfriend to bite harder and the rest processing all the feelings she used to party away. And she loves sauerkraut. Now, if that isn't the best freaking third-person buyer you have ever heard, I do not know what is. She now spends her time teaching her boyfriend how to bite harder. I freaking love it. I believe that you are in some other name. Oh, there you are. There, there she is. So please welcome to the stage for Perfectly Imperfect book launch, Angela Faye. Where are you? We can't see you, my friend. I feel like I heard you. Oh. Do a... 
Hello. There you are. Yeah, but look at you. You look amazing. Thank you. Thank you, oh, us, my friend. Take it away. Take it away. Yeah. Show us what you got for us. All right. So I'm Ange, and uh, I am one of the Melbournians that is in perpetual lockdown, one of those dirty Melbournians. And um, sometimes I like to mix it up and make it a bit more of like a, a, a sock down. Sometimes I make it a bit of a cock down. You know, I like to mix it up, keep things interesting. But mostly I'm just crying and uh, eating sauerkraut out of a jar in my PJs. Um, but <laughs> as you just mentioned, I did a show recently. But before that, as a kid, I just remember life being simple. I remember that all I did was laugh and play and love as best I could. And I thought, I thought that that was all I had to do. That was all I had to be, that that was life, you know. I was here to be me and that was enough. And if we go back further, right, when I was a toddler, I used to eat snails and I used to eat poop. And um, I remember my mum saying that she'd look out the window and see me outside and I would just be chowing down on poop, like just huge huge mouthfuls like like gagging because there would be so much in there you know but I would just keep putting it in just poop shoving that poo in my mouth Ugh. oh I'm no I actually let me let me clarify because it, it sounds bad um no friends it was it was my poo it wasn't random poo from the ground you know I'm not gross yeah, it was just, it was my poo. It was straight from my nappy, actually. Paddock to plate. Yeah. <laughs> when I toured my show recently, I did, I got to escape lockdown. It was like just before we went into like lockdown 17.3, I think it was. I got to um, escape, get into Adelaide, went into quarantine. I was locked in this sort of house that had no air con and it was 40 degrees like every day. But I did get to get out of the house a few times because we had mandatory tests, you know, mandatory testing, swabbing. So I got to leave the house, but I didn't get to leave the car because there were drive-through swabbing centres. Drive-through swabbing centres, people. We are in the future, yeah? And isn't it just like the future we all dreamed of? <laughs> but I had to have these tests and, oh, when I say tests, I mean the big, the big C, you know, C, uh, COVID, not chlamydia. No, I didn't. I didn't have to do regular chlamydia drive-through swabbing tests. That would that would be odd, an odd thing to have to do, and practically um, practically awkward, I would think. You know, like I just imagine the legs spread eagled out of the passenger window, and you know the drivers like hoiking us up, like presenting. <laughs> mm, but what a mental image, right? Yeah, so I had to do these. I had to do three. 
And I tell you what, my reckless, the reckless part of me really enjoyed it because it meant that I got to have regular unprotected nasal sex with nasal intercourse with strangers in cars. So that was a thrill. And also the third test that I had, I remember the, the, the COVID healthcare worker that gave me this test, quite a, quite a good looking young gentleman. He had seen my card, knew it was my third test. And he walks around to my passenger side. He comes really close. He looks at me in my eyeballs and he goes, you know the deal, lean back. I am going to go in your mouth and deep inside your throat. Ah! Oh my. I tell you what, that Adelaide worker really knew how to swing to a dirty Melbourneian. That was a thrill. Oh, I digress. I'm getting all over the shop. I tend to talk a lot. That seems to be something that I do. Some people say, well, most people have said that it's too much. That seems to be what I've heard a lot. Um, loquacious is a term for that. Loquacious. Mm. Kind of turns me on a little bit, that word. Verbal diarrhea has been another term used doesn't really turn me on as much though but uh pretty much the straightforward you talk too much is is pretty much the standard and my show was called too much and when I originally wrote it I set out to make a piece that was just an introduction to me it was just here I am with all my flaws all my faults all my too muches I wanted to put them into a show to just let people see that. And I had segments of the show that were dedicated to each, each of these too muches, right? So that people could see that. And when I started the show in Adelaide, I had a whiteboard that I, I would start the show by asking everyone, have you ever been called too much? And I invited them to yell them out at me and I would put them on this whiteboard. But yeah, I'm pretty chuffed to have a whiteboard, just gonna say. Like, uh, I think that's when you know you've made it, when you've got a whiteboard. Cause I had a props budget, yeah? Even flipped over, two sides, pretty cool. So, um, you know, if you ever wanna write on a big board with some big colorful markers that you can just wipe off, I can hook you up. Yeah, kind of a big deal. Actually, no, that's a lie. My producer has that. But um, I know where he lives. But yeah, I noticed that um, the board was full every night. It was full, completely full of too muches. There were things like um, too emotional, too talkative, too loud, too sensitive, too deep, too passionate, too sexual. And they were just my ones. And over the session, over the season of the show in Adelaide, I began to notice a few things that kind of changed my life. And one thing I noticed was that for every too much that was on the board, there was usually an opposing too much on the board. So for too loud, I would also see too quiet, too outgoing, there was too shy, 
too deep, too shallow, too sexual, too frigid. You know, it was like you couldn't really be anything without being judged for it, you know, without being labelled pejoratively too much. Like, fuck, even boobs, even glorious boobs. I, I, I was told my boobs were too small. Well, that's, you know, it was said more eloquently than that. Um, I remember Philip and Shane when I was in year 10 and I'd walk past the locker bay, um, they would be like, surfboard! <laughs> yeah, and then they'd yell out, Tits! to my bustier friend, Lauren. Oh, oh, memories. Oh, to be a young girl again. And I remember once actually at a bus stop, uh, a gentleman there informed me that um, uh, more than a handful is too much love. And he also said the 679's running late. And I was like, thank you, Lilydale Station Rat Tail Oracle. I learned so much. And I wonder if boobs, spectacular boobs, can, can be wrong. What is right? What is, what is this place that we are aiming for? You know, where is the sweet spot? that we're all trying to get to, to be safe in and feel free from these judgments. And it seemed like the conviction that these two matches were delivered, it was like everyone else knew what this agreed upon thing was and I just didn't get the memo. What are we looking for? Is it, are we, are we supposed to just be looking for neutrality? Is that it? Is it mediocrity? Is the point of humaning just to be like all the other humans with no dynamics? It made me think. I noticed another thing. I noticed that things like talkative, sensitive, too emotional, too deep, too passionate, too sexual were common to matches. Every night they would be there. And I happened upon, on a little internet search while I was researching during this season, I discovered that all of those, you know, put-downs were actually used commonly as a form of gaslighting. If you don't know what gaslighting is, you can look it up later, but essentially it's just a, a method of um, um, gaining control over people, you know, in abusive relationships, helping them to feel crazy, doubt themselves, question their sense of reality. Also, these traits have long been associated with feminine traits. They were actually on the list of symptoms um, that cause people to be diagnosed with hysteria. So that was interesting to me. The most common too much that I found was talks too much. And it was interesting because at the same time, around the same time that I was in Adelaide, there was a bit of hoo-ha going on um, in the world, in the politics world, because the Tokyo Olympics chief and former uh, president of Japan 
had come out and uh, to some to a question of like why there weren't more women on the board of Olympics, and he responded by saying that that was a ridiculous idea, that wouldn't work because we would have to really tightly regulate the speaking times, or we'd never get to finish our meetings. <laughs> Won't somebody think of the meetings? All of these yabbering women will never get anything done. I'm paraphrasing, but um, I'm pretty sure I nailed that impression. So, yeah, he's perpetuating this stereotype that um, women take up more vocal space than men. And not only has this stereotype been shown to be wrong, it's actually been shown to be the opposite of reality. Studies have shown that women in, in high-powered roles in professional settings like business meetings actually take up about 30% of the, the vocal space of their male colleagues. And then I came across this cool little analysis of 2,000 screenplays where they looked at all kinds of things. And some of the data that, the, that they found was that of these 2,000 plays, uh, screenplays, 78% of the words of the lines were delivered by men, by cis men, 78%. And I think films are a pretty good reflection, you know, of what's going on. They can give us a bit of an understanding. 78%, and that included rom-coms, romantic comedies, chick flicks, more men talking than women. It included Disney, 22 of the 30 Disney films that they looked at, 22 out of 30 more words spoken by men. That included Mulan. Mulan, it was about her. And yet her little tiny protector dragon spoke more words than her. You know, it's kind of like her show. It's named after her. You know, she kind of like risked her life and defied all of the patriarchal norms to save her dad and the entire nation. <laughs> But it's still a bit silly to expect that she got to speak more words than a tiny six-inch mythological creature, right? Because pesky women always talking so much. Do you? Oh, wait for it. And Frozen. I'm sorry I said the F word. I didn't want to say it, but Frozen, the almighty Frozen. I'm sorry, that probably brings up a lot of PTSD for anyone who's had kids in the last 10 years. Uh, I've worked in childcare. I know, uh, I, I feel you. Um, <laughs> this is adored by children, this film. It was more like crack for children, actually. And it was hailed by so many as this progressive win for Disney, you know? Two female leads and still more words spoken by men. Do you wanna build a shut the fuck up? These stereotypes are wrong and pieces of shit and they're still being used by leaders of the world to perpetuate more discrimination. <sighs> so from that, I learned. <laughs> I saw what was behind a lot of these too muches and why people use them as pejoratives. I saw that it was a crock. It was all based on outdated and already problematic ideas, impossible, confusing messaging, and um, pretty much just total BS in what appears to be an attempt to keep us under control, to question our reality, 
to doubt ourselves and to not take up space. But worse than that, worse than that was me realising that I had chosen to take that on. I chose to, to believe all of these labels, all of these judgments. I chose to, to accept them as fact, as faults, as ways that I wasn't okay. And that made me sad. That made me really sad. That's a lot to carry. I had swallowed all of it. I swallowed it up, pulled it up, shoved it all in. I may not have been wearing nappies anymore, but I sure as hell was still eating shit, friends. And this wasn't even my shit. This was the random shit on the ground. I am all for hearing about people's needs, their beliefs, their preferences, but I want them to own that that's what they are. They're simply that. I'm tired of wearing their labels. I just want to laugh and play and love as best as I can, but I don't want to eat the shit anymore. I'm done with that. Kid Ange was right. Being me is great. It is what I'm here for, to be me, to bring my fullest expression of me to this world. And not only is that enough, but it's everything. I need to go and eat some sauerkraut now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, Angela Faith, that was that was exquisite. It was, it, I, you know, I was captivated from the, from the get-go and the way that you wrapped that up at the end of being like, I've been eating shit my whole life. And, and it's other people's because that's what it is when we when we are living in a world where we are where we are taking the bullshit in that has been conditioned upon us it's not ours and we get to hand it back so thank you so much for being here Angela that was absolutely stunning thank you so so much ah oh, if you haven't already please go get my book perfectly imperfect it, it is out now there is only for 99 cents I am so excited about this book but also the next person who is here for you who's been patiently waiting and I'm so grateful for you thank you so so very much I cannot tell you again this is one of these moments first time I ever saw this incredible human live the only time I've ever seen her live blew my socks off I cried for days and I watched her twice she was phenomenal and she is her name is Rashani and from dirt poor beginnings in Sri Lanka to explosive multi-instrumental powerhouse Rashani's music is captivating and uplifting as her life story. Her father, the village drummer, her mother, the singer, impoverished and with no hope, had to give Rashani up for adoption. Six weeks old, fate led her to the other side of the world to a musical family living in musical capital, Tamworth. Rashani's music defies pigeonholes, timeless crossing genre, using loop pedals to lay down guitar, harmonica, keys, percussion, and a voice that gives you goosebumps and changes your life. Rashani developed her one-woman show while living in her van, busking on the streets and travelling wherever the wind took her. In 2015, Rashani reunited with her Sri Lankan family after 28 years apart. 60, 
60 Minutes, Australia followed her with camera crew and her story has had millions of views. Her mission in this life is to inspire and uplift, uplift the world with song and story. You guys, I'm so excited. After Ashani, I'm going to be doing q and I'm going to be sharing, sharing some readings from my book. I'm super excited for this. Please, please welcome to the space tonight, a headlining act, Rashani. Coming now. There you go. Here she is. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. <laughs> Book launch day, Luna. Congratulations. Thank you, Rishani. Such a pleasure to have you here. I'm just I unbelievably uh, just thrilled to have you here. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's such a pleasure to share music and share stories, especially in this format when we're talking about, you know, self-love and confidence and all the good stuff, all the stuff that really matters, you know? I love it. Thank you, my friend. Fire away whenever you're ready. Looking forward to this. Okay. Okay. So the first tune um, I'd like to sing for you is called I Am Freedom. So I'm not going to really explain it. I think you guys will, will catch on. Um, all right. If I am not my father, if I am not my mother, then what am I? What am I? If I am not my color, gender, race, or number, then what am I? What am I? Ooh, I have to be something more, something more than skin and bone, but what am I? I have to be something more, something more than skin and bone. But what am I? What am I? I must be freedom. I must be truth. I must be light, just like you. I must be freedom. I must be truth. I must be light, just like you. Ooh. That means I am not my opinions. They always seem to lie. And I am not the inner critic who sabotages life. I am not my ego who seems to control my mind. I am not what I think you think I am. I have to be something more, something more than skin and bone. But what am I? What am I? Oh, I have to be something more, something more than skin and bone. But what am I? What am I? Hey, I am freedom. I must be truth. I must be lie. Just like you, I must be freedom, I must be truth, I must be light, just like you, Ooh. 
to be something more, something more than skin and bone. But what am I? What am I? Oh, I am freedom. I am truth. I am light, just like you. I am freedom. I am truth. I am light, just like you. Just like you. I can feel you a lot. I can't hear you. I can see all these like arms going. Ah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I love the internet for this. How cool is it that you can, that we can still connect like this? It's just so amazing. It blows my mind. I'm so grateful for technology. It's just so good. Is is the sound okay? Can you guys hear? Like, is it all good? It's not like okay. Sweet. Thumbs up. I like that. That's good. Um. So. Yeah, I Am Freedom is a, is a crazy one. It's um, like Luna said, I'm adopted and, and I've just been kind of, man, when you, when you, I just kind of went through my 20s and went through my teens and everything, it was fine, didn't really think about it super that much, but then late, late 20s, I, I met my birth family and um, man, it just brought up so many different things for me. <laughs> and one of the crazy things was even though meeting my birth family in Sri Lanka, I went back with 60 Minutes and it was, it was amazing, emotional, super enriching. But what was really profound is that when I was, when I got home and I was processing the whole, the whole deal, the whole moment in my head, I was like, holy shit, I'm the same person. I actually am no different. So, as an adoptee, you kind of go through your life thinking there's this big hole in your soul that you have to fill, like this, you have no, you know, genealogical idea of where you come from. And so you kind of have this weird um, relationship with identity. And I Am Freedom came out of that amazing liberation of realizing, holy shit, we're all born completely whole, just like a seed of a beautiful oak tree is like got all of the ingredients there and it's in that seed. So when we're tiny little babies, it's like everything that you need to be is right there in, in you. So all the stuff, all the, the identity stuff like our race and culture and gender and all these societal things that we, um, yeah, like that we, we buy into, maybe, um, you know, they they separate us and they you know so so the idea of that we're not we're not those things was really kind of profound and liberating for me i don't know anyway i'll just uh change guitars get this guy out um so this song is uh by request luna requested this song so we're gonna give it a go um it's called Do What You Love because life's too freaking short not to. Um, I lost my Aussie mum, my adoptive mum, 
when I was 23 years old and um, man, she was like 58 and there was so many things that she'd left undone, so many things that she'd left undiscovered for herself and to see her go through, you know, four years of bowel cancer and see her body literally just become emaciated and just this beautiful woman and, and then what she became when she passed away was, was really, it was full on and also profoundly eye-opening and heart-opening in that, you know, I'm like, fuck that, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do all the things that she couldn't do because I know that she can flow through me and enjoy those things. So do what you love is about like, man, we're all gonna kick the bucket one day, so we might as well have a good fucking go at this thing called life. <laughs> Excuse my swearing, by the way, sorry. <laughs> all of you is welcome, my friend. All of you is welcome. <laughs> I love that, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't have to excuse myself here. I love that. That's awesome. Never, <laughs> never shine. Shine, you motherfucking beach. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I can get too comfortable. No, you can never be too comfortable. All right. Do what you love. Do what you love before you die. to love, do what you love before you die, do what you love, do what you love before you die, do what you love, do what you love before you you love, do what you love before you Discontented, so dejected, then we get depressive. We don't talk to each other, swipe left and judge one another. We cling to the things that make us kill our brothers.
goodness woman I I did as I said to you before in when, when I met you at Maria Blues Festival Rashani just my mum had said there's this woman Rashani I think we should check her out and she came on stage and I was just what the hell have I just experienced it was one of those moments and it doesn't happen very often for me where an artist changes my being because your soul is 
is so evident and and the way that you are courageous enough to live your truth I, I, I see I see I see the truth of you and there is something so incredibly drawing like I'm I'm so like magnetized to that in you because I, I think that it's, it's in people people don't know how to do this so I love how did you come to the conclusion that you can do what you love before you die like and that you are freedom I appreciate that you shared the story a bit before but how if you're happy to share a little um so at, at the age of 27 I kind of um I went I had like a crossroads moment. Um, I was so, yeah, like I, I was married. I'd been married for four years and with um, my ex-husband for, for seven. And I, we were just two different people and I mm. was living a life that um, like was ticking all the boxes, you know, <sighs> had a good job and I had a stable home and I had the marriage and you know, doing the thing and, but I wasn't doing music and I wasn't really like, I wasn't doing what I know, like my mum had passed away and I know that I'd just completely closed off. Mm. And um, basically I, I just bit the bullet and I went out and I started touring with this band and I found myself up in Ely Beach and I met this amazing man who's now my husband. When I <laughs> met him, I was already married. I had to do that thing, which was pretty harrowing. It was like, oh, shit. But it was like the, the most um, magnetic, deep calling I've ever had in my life. It wasn't just, just this man. It was this path. It was like I could see that this path that I had been on was just going to you know, I'd get to the end of it and I'd be like, fuck, what did I do? Like, not what I wanted to do. Yeah. This other path that was being presented to me and I couldn't, I couldn't even say why or how. It just felt, it was, all, okay, what it was is if I didn't follow that path that was being presented to me at that time, that calling, I would have been sick. I would have gotten sick, I reckon. Like, it was just so deeply, like, it was like if I was to refuse that, gift um i just would have i just would have withered you know and um all this wouldn't have happened and so yeah i just had that it was the age of 27 too so it was like really yeah it was spooky and so i just i i i went back on to my i i kind of put the um the idea of philosophy and and walking the path of awareness and expanding consciousness to the side for all those years and then mm. it just came back it was just like I knew that I was being called to grow being called to expand and mm. um and to just like face my limiting beliefs which were like I mean I didn't play guitar uh four four or five years ago I didn't play guitar I'd, I'd always sung but I told this shitty story that I you know I'm just I'm a singer, I don't play instruments, I can't produce music, I can't do the computer thing, I can't, you know, all this, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't. And um, I just went, fuck it, what, like, who says? Yes. I can't. <laughs> I think that I couldn't, you know, myself. So it was, it was just realizing, like, okay, so what have I got to lose? Nothing. 
So what have I got to gain? Everything. And yeah. it's just like, it, it was like two different lives that I could have lived. And it's just, I've just gone mm -hmm. on this weird, gnarly path. And it's just, it's fun, man. <laughs> And, and, I, and I see that in you and I, I think that, you know, this is so relevant and part of the reason why I was so drawn to you and, and, and honoured to have you here because, because so many of us are trapped with those limiting beliefs. I can't, I couldn't, you know, and the negative self-talk that comes in and the reality is I, I think, Rashani, for me, my, I lost my brother when I was 27. So at 27, my brother died suddenly. He was two years older than me. Um, you, you know, so he was, he was 28-ish at the time when he died and I was like, you know what? That could have been me. I it that could be me. You know, and and it was it, with he he got diagnosed with a brain tumor and a month later he was dead. And that that element and similarly I, I relate so heavily with the story of you there because I'm like that moment when I realized that I could die and then I'm not that I could I'm gonna for a start just everybody out there we're gonna. <laughs> we're definitely going to and it could be way earlier than you think and I implore everybody to just give it a go whatever it is and it might be something as simple as baking cakes and that's the thing that you want to do but everybody has a gift and I would think that it would be absolutely criminal if the world did not have your music I and, and that calling that part where you decided to to take the call on the hero's journey I first say congratulations and secondly I say thank you because, because not only are you setting an example for all of us to do that, you know, that us to have the courage, but you get to give us the gift, which is exactly what gifts are for. We get them from the universe. Yeah. They come through us and out us to the freaking world. Yes, that's exactly right. And it's it's just, I don't know, it's it's just what we're all here for. We all we all create this beautiful tap, tapestry of humanity and, mm. and and your passion. Like there's like people that will say like, oh, but I don't know what my purpose is. And it's like, well, just just do what you love. Like it's as simple as that. Whatever just sparks joy in you, yeah. whatever lights you up, whatever makes your eyes widen, whatever makes your heart beat a little faster, whatever it might be crocheting it might be like teaching kids tennis it might be like writing a book it might be, <laughs> who knows like yep. and and those things because they're done with passion and because they're done with love mm. they draw in this life force energy and then the gift mm -hmm. that you give has this amazing ripple effect on everybody around you just simply because it's imbued with good energy like pure energy and it's and it, and it just it just uplifts everybody and, and, and it's just like it doesn't, it's not, doesn't have to be singing, doesn't have to be music, doesn't have to be, it's not about like levels of success or anything uh -huh. like that. The only success, the only like barometer for success is how much joy yes. you use out of each moment, yep. you know, so it's, it's, and fuck, if you can just sit and look at the clouds and enjoy the storm or enjoy mm -hmm. the sunrise or whatever and, and just gratitude, that's everything and, and being grateful for your own gifts and, and being grateful for these beautiful bodies that we, we get to be in this physical experience and, and, and experience touch and taste and smell and yep. manifestation and all of that stuff. It's fucking great. Like, yes. Far out. Yeah, like we, <laughs> we, we get to have this body. We get to have this experience. We get to and, – and the highs and lows and the ups and downs and all of that are relevant of – 
are irrelevant of whether or not we like the circumstances. There is so much joy in all of it. I, I came to a place not long, you know, like a, a couple of years after my brother died where I'm like, I'm so grateful for his death because it cracked me open and, and it allowed me to follow the things that I love in my life. And you know what? Exercise, food, your, your partner, your job, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't bring you joy, and I know that's not always an easy thing to do, Actually, it's not an easy thing to do. To follow to follow that call is so courageous. And I know it's not easy, but you're gonna die. So please go go live your dreams. Go at least give it a go. Like just go out for it. So thank you, Rashani. I such a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Honestly, I'm so grateful to share and I'm so I'm so appreciative of you. You're facing in the direction of of like joy and love and you're spreading your amazing gift and and like I'm all for that man like oh, hell I yeah. love you so much so, thank you you are more than welcome to stay I'm going to do a, a little reading for those of you who want to hang out officially our our our, our talent that isn't me I was going to say our, our talent section is over but I'm included in that so <laughs> but our our extra talent is is concluded for this evening and um, yeah, thank you, Rashani. But I'm going to stick around. I'm going to answer questions. I'm going to do some readings from my book for those of you who would love to hear from it. And Rashani, of course, you're welcome to stay, but you're also welcome to shoot off. So that's true for everybody. Sending you so much love. Thank you. Mwah, mwah. So much love straight back to you. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Wow. What an amazing evening, y'all. I mean, shout out to Rashani, huh? How did everyone love that? Like, what a what a phenomenal artist she is. I, I, I just cannot even when it comes to her. I just, she's one of my favourite humans in the world. I just love her so deeply. I've been told, I've been getting messages uh, around telling me, as I said, that I'm bestseller in five categories on Amazon, which is super exciting. And and the reality is, I think that I think that my publisher just sent me a message and said that I was. Um, what did he say? I don't want to. I don't want to get it wrong. Not because I don't. I don't mind making mistakes, but more so because I think that I'll make it sound way better than it is. Um, <laughs> they told me that. Please hold. So currently, I'm in the top 100 of Kindle books on Amazon in Australia. There's 5 million titles in the store. And I'm currently number 66. That was the last update that uh, my publisher had given me. So I'm 66 out of 5 million. But I would so love, I mean, can I get to top? Like, 66 doesn't seem that far away. And I know that I need to just get as many sales as possible in the shortest period of time. So if you please can share it, I would be so thrilled for you, for me to be able to do that. Yes, Rashani, I'd love you to go by it. That would be amazing. Yeah, 66 out of 5 million is pretty bloody incredible and a number one bestseller in five different categories. And, and the night is still young and the weekend is still young. So please just go celebrate this, please. I, who would like to hear me read a little bit of it? I know you're probably waiting all night. <laughs> you're like, come on, isn't the show about you? Which it is. But I, I wanted these people on and I wanted to experience them. So I made it all about what I wanted, which was them. <laughs> so I thought I would share with you from, so for those of you who don't know, this book comes in three parts because to me, the way in order for us to become to become connected with ourselves and our truth is that 
if we go directly into our spiritual work, which I know so many of you are, our heads get in the way. Our mind and our thinking gets in the way. And if we don't overcome our ego, our mind, then we, all the spiritual work in the world will always be interrupted by our ego. So we start, the first, the, the first part of the book is about your mind, it's about how you clear those limiting beliefs, how you deal with your ego, which is just your small self, what's in your mind, what, what everybody thinks we are, which is why I love Rashani's song, I Am Freedom, because I am not my ego, she says. I'm not my ego. I'm not my inner critic. I, you know, I'm, I'm none of those things because you're so much more beyond that. If we don't address the ego, it will sabotage the fuck out of us. <laughs> so that's why I started the book in the mind. The second section is about the body. And the body, when it comes to that, is that we have so much trauma trapped in our body and our bodies haven't belonged to us, like Angela was talking about, like Rashani, sorry, um, like Felicia was talking about. So much of our bodies haven't belonged to us. They belong to somebody else. And we need to reclaim that within ourselves so that we have sovereignty within our flesh. And understand that there's so many layers of, of conditioning and programming that come into that. You know, we, we look at Natalie, who's talking about talking about the gray hair and how we should be not getting old. That's all marketing, capitalism, patriarchal bullshit. And I talk about that in the middle part of the book. And finally, because I think that this is what comes to full integration, in order to truly love ourselves and love our bodies, what we're actually searching for is to be able to feel whole and complete within ourselves. So the third part of the book is about our spirit. It's about our soul. It's about how to connect to that divine place, which is what I know that Rashani has achieved. Rashani is there and, and, and I am too and I want that for you. I want you to be able to come to a place where you realise your divine goodness you are whole and complete just as you are. You are born that way and you can't do anything to stop yourself from being whole and complete. Through that journey of coming back to you, back to your truth, to realise that you are the divine made flesh, that, that is the journey that you're about to go on with this book. And so I'd like to share with you a piece from the very start of the book because that's where we need to start, at the start. This is a brief history the start of shame. I don't quite remember the first time that I recognised self-hatred within me. There doesn't seem to be a moment in time where one tragic and traumatic event happened and my light was subsequently damaged forevermore. And trust me, I have done decades of inner work to try to find that one thing that it could have been to no avail. No. For me, when I look back on my life and the beliefs that were formed over my childhood and adolescence, it just seems that self-deprecation and a lack of self-worth was the norm. There were no role models of healthy self-esteem in my upbringing, no conversations about how I felt about myself, just the examples that my parents and four older brothers laid out before me. Yep, you read that right. I am the youngest of five and the only girl. I do clearly remember the first time I felt ashamed of my body. I was fortunate enough to be taken on a family holiday to the Gold Coast in Australia, where the beach is life and clothing sizes seemed marginal compared to where I'd grown up. We had packed the bags and set off for a day of fun and frivolity at the local mega water park. I was nine and a little more than excited. We had driven past the park days before and the grandeur and sheer enormity was something that blew my tiny little mind. 
The only thing that ran through my mind was how brave I would be climbing up those walls, those tall towers and launching myself off into the unknown, scared and exhilarated. But I knew that with my big brother, John, at my side, I could conquer anything. We climbed that tower together, up those seven flights of stairs, and waited in line for what felt like hours with seemingly thousands of other excited and nervous kids. Finally, with the heat becoming unbearable, the anticipation palpable, and the nerves at their all-time high, we had reached the top of the tower. We overlooked the whole water park. From there, I felt like I could conquer the world and my tiny parents all the way at the bottom felt like a million miles from me. It was me, my heroic brother and the slide. Nothing could stop me now. The lifeguard called me forward. It was at last my turn. I imagined him, I imagined him gesturing me over to instruct me on what to do, but instead he pulled me aside. With complete nonchalance, he brutally stated, you can't ride the slide with your T-shirt on. You'll have to take it off and hold it before you ride down. By this time in my life, I must have already been body conscious as I would wear a T-shirt over my swimmers, but it had never once stopped me from enjoying the fruits and frivolity of life. Stunned and frozen with fear, I stood there with my mouth agape, tears forming in my eyes and shame coursing through my veins. I protested with the lifeguard, begged him to let me go, stamping my foot and throwing the quietest tantrum that I could. I was ashamed enough and did not want to cause a scene and make things worse for myself. With no kindness or understanding of my delicate self-esteem holding on for dear life, he plainly said, you either take your shirt off and ride the slide or you walk back down the stairs. I had a choice. Face the fear of exposing my body and the shame of my existence or throw down the gauntlet and face a thousand kids laughing and jeering at me at my cowardice. I wish, my dear readers, that I could finish this story with a gallant tale of how I decided that life and fun were more important than the hate of my body. I wish that this tale became my lesson on how to never, ever let your body and how you feel about it get in the way of living your life. But I guess if that had been the case, then I would not be sitting here over a quarter of a century later, recalling this memory with fresh tears in my eyes. I would have not spent the last 15 years of my life undoing the first 20 and teaching others how to do the same. No, if the story had ended this way, I would not be who I am today. Because instead of taking the brave and fun path, I chose the path of smallness. Both options terrified me, but in that moment, I chose to become the scared kid, the one who got to the top and chickened out kid, the kid that couldn't conquer the biggest slide. I chose to be seen as the one who was not overfacing the reality of being teased for who I was, the fat kid. In that moment, I made the decision that would impact countless decisions ahead of me. I taught myself at that moment that the shame of my body was so great that it could and would stopped me from living my life in a way I truly wanted to. That day, I chose to be small and continue the lie to my parents and my oh-so-brave big brother. 
We left the park that day with them believing that it was the height of the slide that had scared me off rather than the depth of my shame. Today, that slide would be mine. Not even the likely potential of my ample bosom spilling out of my ill-fitting bikini top or the also highly likely giant wedgie or potential loss of bikini bottoms would stop me. No, in fact, in 2013 for a friend's 30th birthday, I went back to that same park, climbed that same staircase and waited for my turn to be called. More terrified now of the anticipation of it than anything else. I took my turn with no shirt in sight and rewrote that damn story. I conquered that slide and put my shame to rest, at least for that day. I'd like to just read just the next little bit because I think it's really important. Cutting the bullshit. Ah, uh, isn't looking back on a montage of a story such a wonderful thing? Like a movie that plays an uplifting song, flicking through tiny snapshots of the protagonist's hardships until they land you at the part where it's all great again. It's a zero-to-hero tale, one that skips over all the shittiest parts and reveals that years later, look at me now, I'm a success. Well, it's bullshit. The story I just shared is true. I lived both of those things. But to write it as if I haven't suffered for the decades in between is a disservice to not only me, but to you. Now in my late 30s, I can confidently say that my body and myself are awesome. I can say that I honestly love myself to bits more today than I have ever done in my life to date, but I will never skim over the hardships of this journey. I will never tell you that self-love is a destination and one day you will arrive there and all your insecurities will be long forgotten and you will be impenetrable to self-doubt and shame. Because that, my friends, is bullshit. The world is not yet entirely ready for the self-love revolution, but it is getting there. Currently, there is too much money to be made from our enduring insecurities and too many industries propped up by you never feeling good enough. So, for now, you'll be up against some pretty large adversaries that will do their best to remind you to get back into your small space, to not take up space, speak up, or be your true self. Society at large as a part of the collective unconscious will want you to remain unconscious to the wonder and power that lies within you. You will become the odd one out with your friends, family and community who still buy into the idea of never enough. You will be faced with not fitting in anymore because the accepted norm for most women is self-deprecation, poor self-esteem, body loathing and oppression. It is a pretty bleak but liberating path you are undertaking here. But when you stop fitting in with everyone else, something miraculous occurs. You become your truest, most authentic divine self and fitting in no longer becomes your driver because now you belong, not to a group or a world of people, but to yourself. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so, so very much. I am... Just beyond thrilled. I'm beyond thrilled that that after so many years, you know, I I stood in the mirror today and just like, you know, 20 minutes before jumping on here and I'm like, cool, I'm getting ready. I'm doing the thing. I've got to get my bios sorted and I've got to get the, the talent sorted and I've got to do all that. And it just occurred to me that I was going to my book launch and 10, 15, 20 years ago, I hated myself. 
Yeah. I hated myself to the point of an eating disorder. I hated myself to the point of, of self-harm. I hated myself to the point that I did not do what I loved. And I fucking changed it. I changed it. And, and I've not only changed it for myself, but I've changed it for many, many, many other people. And I'm teaching this to other people because there is nothing more profound than I have experienced in my life than learning how to love yourself because you are with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You are not going anywhere, my friends. And coming to the place where you can master your mind, heal your body and connect to the divine spirit within you is the most profound, rewarding and meaningful thing you are ever going to do in your life. Georgie's just said, I just refreshed your book's Amazon page and it's now number six in the Kindle store. Is that the whole Kindle store? Georgie, can you just clarify? Fuck off. Is that the whole Kindle store? It needs to be the whole because there's lots of different categories, okay? I'm excited about that. There's lots of different categories. So if you go to books, <laughs> really? It's just gone, yes. Bestseller ranked number six in the Kindle store. See top 100 in Kindle store. What's it next to? What's it next to? Are you kidding me? Am I six in the whole motherfucking Kindle store? <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. <gasps> that is crazy. That's five. There's five million. You guys, there are five. <laughs> there are five million titles. I I can't do this without you. You know, I the support that that has been given to me from you, from all of my loved ones, from all of my fans, from all of my clients, from all of my workshop participants. I I can't do this work without you. And I know that you know how important this is because for so many of you, I've touched personally. I've changed your life personally. And I say I've changed your life. You changed your life. I just showed you how, by the way, <laughs> which, which is what the book's all about. It's literally about showing you how to do this. I, you know, my, my beautiful, delightful Bridget, who said that, you know, you will continue working with me for the rest of your life. I love that. And, and the reason I love that is because we are not talking about the same shit that we did four years ago. We are just not. It is, if we keep talking about the same shit in our sessions, I'm not doing my job properly. That's just the reality. I don't want anyone working with me for the rest of their life so they can come and talk about the same problems that they were talking about four years ago. No, no siree. We want evolution. We want a continuation. We want growth. That's how someone can continue to work with me for many years because we grow together. And we continue to deepen it. And in fact, most of my client conversations now, if you've worked with me for a long period of time, mostly it's a, it's a philosophy, theology, and spirituality conversation about reconnecting to your divine source. Would uh, anybody who's worked with me for a long time agree with that? <laughs> that it's really coming home for that. So are you guys for real? Like, I know that I'm a little bit in shock. Is it for real at the whole Kindle store? I know you just told me that. but amazing oh my gosh I mean can I pee if you guys want to hang around please do but I need to pee I, and I've been here for two hours and I normally pee at least every hour 
have a pee and grab can of coke because that's delicious. And if you want to, Q&A is open. If you want to ask me any questions about self-love and stuff, about my own journey, if you would like, I will continue making readings from here if you would like me to. In fact, we could play Reading Roulette where you, where you guys give me a number and I turn the page and we find what's on there. So I'm going to go pee. You guys throw out some numbers to me. I'll pick one from there. Pee, drink. I'll be back in a second. I love you. Jane. Hello, darling. I do nothing but cry. That woman is my daughter. She's just cried for an hour and a half, my love. <laughs> oh, she's just amazing. You know, we get on the lounge together and we laugh and we fart and we, you know, do everything. And oh, you know, just to see her there and her book's gone so well. It's just. No, oh, I'm sorry. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I've been every step of the way with her, and it's just beautiful to see. This. Mama, all of you is welcome. You never have to apologize oh, for showing your emotions. It's a I beautiful thing. Like such a big sook, though, you know. <laughs> I can't help it. Sorry, everybody. Jane, my beautiful Jane. Right, Mama, stop it. No more apologizing. No more apologizing for your amazingness and your care and your kindness. No apologies here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh gosh. Oh, I'm just absolutely bursting with pride. I mean, I don't even recognize me. I'm like, it's just amazing. Oh, incredible. Thank you, Mama. I really enjoyed that. It was such a great night. Such a great night. I've used a box of tissues. <laughs> oh, I haven't yet, which I'm surprised about. <laughs> I didn't get any numbers come through while I peed. Oh. Um. 57. I'm going to go with 57, okay, and then just keep coming them through and I, I, I will do the thing. I, I will do the, I, I will get it. I'm going to mute you back on, Mama. Thank you for all being here. Did you all notice um, how quickly I peed? I don't know if I shared this story in the book, but growing up with four elder brothers, it was very rare that my father took me out with the children, very rare. Um, like I think maybe this was the only time it ever happened. Um, but I remember it, it was toilet time. <laughs> Thank you, Hal. Very impressive and zippy peeing. Yes. And, and you know what? It's one of those things where a lot of the things that I'm really good at now, which are my strengths, were, were trauma responses. <laughs> I, I share this with you very openly. The reality is, is that I was left behind in a toilet in a, in, in, in a, in a shopping centre because all the boys went to pee. And when I came out, they were all gone. Right. I, I remember coming out and I was like, Where, where's everyone gone? They came back pretty quickly. Not like the time that I was, not like some other time, but I was going to share a story, but I was like, it's, it's, it's not, not uh, relevant. But, you know, they were gone. So I learned that if I didn't pee quick enough, <laughs> really, as a child, I'd be abandoned. Um, good on you, Dad. Thanks for that. Uh, so I really, I learned to pee quickly so that my brothers never left me behind. <laughs> Which... Really, the reality is in so much of my book, the reason I get to do this, the reason I'm where I am in my life right now is because I've walked into the shadows. And I want to highlight that to everybody. That's why I shared that bit about it. You know, I could give you the happy ending of me going down the slide, but the reality is, is that that was one moment in time. 
I've I've had to walk into the shadow many, many, many times in my life, walk into the deepest, darkest parts of myself, and that's why I can now hold the light for others because I did it. I continue to do it, and when it comes up again, I walk into the dark tunnels that I don't particularly want to because I know that my happiness is on the other side of it. So 57, huh? Now, okay, so for reference for all of you, you probably didn't know, there is 462 pages in this book. <laughs> it's a big book. So, so give some, you know, numbers out there. You're welcome to. 57. Self-love is a skill. This world can be cruel, demeaning and outright unethical, but mostly it's just unaware. Your parents and teachers could not possibly have taught you how to love yourself. They didn't know how to do it themselves. In times gone by, the skill of self-love has been of extreme low importance. We have needed to survive, our very lives at stake from starvation, poverty, and physical threats. Note, a side note on privilege. I am white and middle-class, born and raised in Australia. My life is one that affords me the privilege to hate myself. Yes, I said that it is a privilege. My safety, security, and livelihood are comfortable and relatively predictable. All my physical needs to survive have always been met, and unless a catastrophic event occurs anytime soon, by the way, including what we're doing now, they will continue to be so. I am privileged, and there is no way that I can write about the plight of self-love without mentioning this fact. There are people who cannot afford to think about themselves in such deep, albeit destructive ways. People need to survive, and when it comes to human consciousness expanding, it is a lot easier when you know where your next meal is coming from and where you will sleep tonight. I acknowledge that this privilege does not extend to the oppression I and my fellow sisters experience because of our sex. I believe that as a person with this kind of privilege that I was given, I have a duty and a responsibility to use that privilege for the betterment of humanity. I believe that the many atrocities that humans act out against one another and our fellow earthlings and land is a direct result of our internal pain and suffering. In short, hurt people hurt people. If in my position of privilege with the life that I have lived and the internal nightmare that I have awakened from, I can help people in my field to find internal peace, then less people will need to hurt people. I also hope that as you find peace and love within your own self, that you pay it forward and teach what you are now beginning to know. In teaching, I do not ask or expect you to dedicate your life to speaking, teaching and healing the world in a professional sense, but more by your mere presence your attitude and by your example. Lift women up when they are down on themselves. Speak out against body shame around your friends and family and encourage people to walk the path of love as you are doing. Be the change you wish to see in the world, as said by Mahatma Gandhi. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. As I said, I'm just going to hang around here and do the thing for as long as you guys want to. So send me numbers if you want. Like, just send me a number, shoot it out there. I'll come off mute for a second, shoot me a number from zero to 466. The, the higher the numbers, by the way, if, in the 400s, three 400s, it's going to get spiritual, right? So the, in the middle part, like you go to like one to two, like one to like zero to 200, you're going to talk about the mind. 200 to 300, you're going to go body. Three to 400, you're going to go spirit. So just play with your, play with wherever you want. I don't know which side that was, though, Beck. Bridget Morgan, thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you so much for introducing me. I love you dearly. Thank you for your poem, your poetry. 
What a night. Thank you, Bridget. Come on, you guys, give me a number. It's not hard. There you go. Oh, someone did say 200. Cool. Nice. There you go. That's better. All in the 200s. Okay, so 247, 253, 200. So what I'm going to do, bye, Mama. Are you saying, is that you saying goodbye? Is that you saying goodbye, Mum? Oh, no. She's just waving. Okay. <laughs> Hal, I'm going to come pull up. Give me a number between 200 and 253. 237. 237 it is. 237. Sometimes it won't make sense, so I'll, like, go back to the bit there. Okay. So a bit of context for you. We're in a section about patriarchal values, capitalism, and how they oppress women. <laughs> by the way, by the way. Thank you, Ange. Thank you, my beautiful. So this is what we're up to in this pot, 237. While the patriarchal values of our society keep playing out in our individual lives, we will forever remain chained to its rules and regulations. In 2021, I still find myself having conversations with both myself and other women about, about how we have given our lives to our men. I hear countless stories of strong, independent, conscious women who are still the carers, homemakers, and relative submissives, submissives to their male partners slash fathers slash bosses. We really have come so far in our rights and freedoms, yet so many of us are still imprisoned by the belief systems that were handed down to us. How it plays out is not always so obvious. Excuse me, Coca-Cola. For me, for me, I automatically did the lion's share of the housework for no other reason than I was the one who was thinking about it, saw it, and therefore did something about it. Was my male partner willing and able? Yes. Was he saying that because I'm the woman, then I automatically should do more around the house? No. Did his mother do the majority of the household tasks in his childhood home? Yep. Did mine? Absolutely. Both my parents worked full time for most of my life. They both worked hard to ensure that we were fed, clothed and watered. But the actual raising of the children and the household maintenance was up to my mother. Who is here, by the way, by you all know. <laughs> There was no discussion around this. There was no delegation of tasks or assignments or roles. It just was. My mum had her first child in 1970 at the tender age of 18. And there was simply no question as to who would be running the shop. She was to take on the rearing of the children, maintain the household, work a job, do all the cooking and groceries, discipline, make sure homework and school assignments were being done. Plus, I'm sure so much more. And dad's job? was to earn money and keep the garden neat and tidy. Seems fair, right? <clears throat> now, times are different, I get that. But what we cannot avoid is the truth that, the, that these are the types of generational roles that we have been raised in. And what it tells us about ourselves and our sovereignty is that men and their needs are more important than us and ours. We come far down the list of priorities. In my decade long relationship, I automatically took on the conditioned mental load of forward thinking, planning, caregiving and the like. By making no conscious decisions on my behalf or that of my partner, I put my own needs, wants and boundaries into a category of if we have time, never to be seen again. This is not the fault of my partner, nor it is the fault of my dad or his dad before him. Even though there is no one person to blame here, the reality is it is my, our, responsibility to do something about it. So, Take a moment to think about your participation in the patriarch. 
Do you participate in outdated yet ingrained gender roles? Do you take on the emotional, physical and mental responsibility of the males in your life in order to make their life easier, despite the fact that it probably makes your life harder? Sit with yourself and ponder how you may be perpetrating these oppressive ideologies by participating and contributing to their evolution. If our generational heritage is that of ownership, where who we are, what we think, how we are expected to behave and how we're supposed to look has been dictated to us for a millennia, then it takes a self-aware, determined and committed woman to make conscious choices about what values we are continuing to perpetuate. Historically, these choices have not been our own and despite how much you might think that you are free to be as you please, first check that the underlying conditioned and programmed values are not being played out. Yeah, so that's, you know, this, this part of the book really talks to, talks to the body shame game and how, and how if, if anyone who's done my course, The Self-Love Awakening Collective, I talk about the fact that, that our bodies haven't been our own. That I, I, I tell I tell you what, and I, I share this story with so much love for the the human who brought this to my attention. Not that many years ago, by the way, too. Up until recently, probably three years ago, a belief that I didn't know that I had was when I was in a please hold when I was in a sexual situation with a man. There was a time that came in that in that situation that I was no longer allowed to remove consent. I literally thought this. I thought that, you know, if I led them on or if I had given them a thing, if they were, if they were already hard, so to speak, if, I, if, if they were already riled up, then I couldn't say no. That would me being, being a bitch. That would me, you can't leave me hanging kind of vibe. That was literally how I was raised. I was literally raised to believe that there was a point in time to which I wasn't allowed to remove consent from sex. And I reckon this was only about three or four years ago that I realised that, that there is actually, I am always, always, it's my consent. I always get to decide. And when we've had a historical lives where, and trigger warning for those, you know, trigger warning here, but we live in a world where, where marital rape is still a blurry line, where women are owned, literally walking down the aisle, the man, the husband, the father gives away the woman to the man, to the husband. That's a, you know, and it, it can be a beautiful experience for people. And I, and I love that. We have to look at unpacking all of that. Because when we have lived that life where as a woman our body does not belong to us, we literally stare down the barrel of me being a 34-year-old woman not realising that I was allowed to revoke consent. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's ever experienced that. And if there is anybody who would like to speak into that, you are welcome to come off mute and speak of your experiences of that or anything around it. And I say thank you to the to the human who made me understand that, and and through this phenomenal human's generosity of himself, really, the reality is is that this person said, gave me the space, and told me like, is this okay? And then when when maybe saw me tense up, stopped. I had never experienced that in my life. I'd never experienced somebody who came along, and told me that my body was my own. I didn't know. 
and now I do. And that's part of this evolution that I share in that piece that I just gave to us. We really need to understand and recognise that systemically and generationally, our, our thoughts and our beliefs have been given to us. And until we rewire them, until we reprogram them, until we know different, we won't do any different. Did you know beautiful, beautiful people um, who are, you know, women in this in this room, did you know that when your grandmother was pregnant with your mother, you were there? The egg, the egg that made you us, actually true with men too, right? That has to be true. <laughs> Can't, yeah, it would be. It's just that it's your mother. Yeah, like so you were, we were, we were eggs in our mother's womb of, we were in our eggs of the our grandmother's womb, you know, just ah, uh, that it's incredible. And so, so what our grandmothers experience when you even look at, and I don't go into this in the book, but when you look at epigenetics, we pass stuff on through the way that we are in the womb, and that that is an experience. If you grew up with a mother or mothers, grandparents, great grandmothers, four generations, the the at least the trauma stays within us. So we need to rewire it. You are so very welcome, Hal Simons. You are so very welcome. You are so very welcome. I'm still here. I'm still drinking Coca-Cola. And so any others? Would you like? I'm totally directed by you. So would you like another reading? We can talk more. If you would like one, I'm here to hang out. Fuck a number in. Make it random. Play, um, play reading roulette. 372. Yeah. I gotta say, I like I've read this book quite a few times now, right? Because I had to read it. Well, I wrote it, but I actually have read it because I, you know, I had to do copy edit. Yeah, Jackie, one, one, one. I'll do that one next. Thank you, sister. I'm glad you'll be watching on live on Facebook. How good was Rashani? Stop it. Jackie is one of my uh Jackie is is a sister from another mister. She is this 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 phenomenal human being Jackie Cat is one of my most grounding sources in the entire world. And, uh, and I shared with her Rashani's music, her and I get deep. <laughs> we haven't seen each other for two years because she lives in Victoria. <laughs> and, uh, and, but still, it doesn't matter because as my grandmother would say, love is the bridge. <laughs> She's a legend, by the way. She features a lot in the book, my grandmother, because my grandmother is... She's 93. She lives in a nursing home and has done, I think, about seven years now. She took herself there because she was like, I'm ready. I'm not coping at home. It's a bit silly. And I've never met a woman so grateful in all of my life. I'm like, I said to her last time I saw her, she's in Canberra and I can't see her yet. Last time I saw her, I was around her 93rd birthday and I said to her, Nan, how do you feel about the fact that you're going to die soon? Right now, that Nan and I have talked about the the mysteries of the world and solved the problems of the world ever since I was a kid. The very first, in fact, she was the person who got me into personal development. She probably doesn't even know this, but she gave me this book called "Who Moved My Cheese." I'm going to get it for you. She gave me this book called "Who Moved My Cheese" by Dr. Spencer Johnson. And it's tiny and it, it'll change your life. I highly recommend getting it after you've gotten mine, of course. Um, and it's really good for kids too. It's 70, it's 100 pages. And it's, it's 
yeah, it's exquisite. And my nan gave it to me. Look, a birth, uh, a, a card there. Where there are dreams repeated, they become goals. <laughs> my grandmother is just a ridiculous source for me. H.M. Blewett, she's there. Anyhow, I don't know where I was going with Nan with the thing, but she's just an incredible human and she features a lot in the book. <laughs> 372. Oh, yeah, because the spirituality is one of my favourite things because I really do believe that we are all, we are all, Spiritual beings having a human experiences. That's what it is. Okay. So I'm going to go a little bit further back to that, Georgie, because I think it's going to make more sense if I do. <clears throat> In my days as a people pleaser, and as someone who needed external validation to feel loved, I often struggled to find my place with people. I knew that I was different. I could see that I didn't fit into most mainstream groups of normal types of people. I thought differently had different ideals and values, and often felt like who I was was not okay. So I changed myself to fit in. I manipulated my speech, my attitude, my values, and my behavior in order to be accepted by different groups of people. When I hung out with drinkers, I was a drinker. When I spent time with religious people, I didn't swear and I talked about God. When I was at the gym, I never talked about drugs and partying. When I was with TV watchers, I discussed TV. Now, to a certain extent, I believe that we all do this. There is a line to which it is healthy to be adaptable and flexible to our environments. But like I said throughout this book, the reason why we do something is far more telling than what we are actually doing. You see, building rapport and finding common ground with people in your environment is a healthy expression of communication and it helps to deepen trust within relationships. The intention here is to connect in ways that allow us to remain in our integrity and reveal more of our inner truth and values. It is not about finding ways to mould or bend ourselves so that people like us for what they see. This is the ultimate difference between fitting in and belonging. Fitting in says, I will be anyone and do anything to be accepted by you and the group. Belonging says, I'm comfortable with who I am and I'm only seeking to find ways to deeper connection through commonality. It is okay if you don't accept. We're up to 372 now, so we're hitting it, Georgie. Big difference, right? When we have lowered self-worth or self-esteem, we tend to externalise all of our validation and sense of well-being onto others. We believe that if the group likes us, accepts us, and welcomes us in, then that is a satisfactory proof that we are valuable. The problem with this line of thinking is that it encourages us to be someone that we are not in order to receive the love that we are craving. Have you ever experienced this for yourself? When you are loved and accepted by people, but who they think they love and accept is not who you truly are. That sucks, right? It further perpetuates the idea that the only way to be loved and accepted is by being someone else, and that if you were to be your true self, then you would be rejected. Depending on how far removed from your integrity you have been with people, this could actually be true. If you've been playing a role of a left-wing hippie vegan with strong ethics around veganism and feminism, when you're actually rather more right-leaning and conservative, then perhaps when the truth is revealed, the group might not accept you. A mantra that I live by states, I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I am not. Yeah. I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I am not because I'm going to keep reading, actually, because I think this is rad. I get that the above example may seem a little extreme, but you get my point. 
Not only does adapting yourself, your values and your integrity damage your relationship with yourself, but it also creates external relationships that are false and based on lies. If your true self was ever to be revealed, I'm guessing that those you have been misleading may feel like you've been lying or deceiving them and the trust would have been irrevocably damaged. We crave fitting in because we are nature. We, we by nature are herd creatures. We are safer in a pack than we are alone. If you, a zebra, decides to paint your white stripes pink and as a result you stand out more easily, it puts the whole herd at risk of attack. The other zebras can see that you are more likely to be the one targeted because you look so different. But they also see that it means that your herd is more likely to be attacked over the herd without a pink rebel. They automatically go about attempting to correct the behavior of your rebellion to keep the whole herd safe. They will attempt to convince you to go back to white in order to protect everyone. They won't say this directly, of course. They'll let you know through subtle stabs at you, like, well, that's different. Hmm, what made you choose that color? You've changed and I don't know who you are anymore. If they're really brave, they'll tell you that you're embarrassing them and shame you into compliance. If you do not comply and correct your behavior, then the herd will reject you. This is why we want to fit in. We know that standing out makes us a target to be brought down and attacked. We know that herds, people, who feel vulnerable to their own attacks will always want to keep a status quo that ensures no one gets attacked. So we comply, we adapt, we go against what it is we might really think or want to say or act like so that we do not rock the boat of socially acceptable behaviours. In some situations and to moderate degrees, shaping ourselves to be more like those around us is reasonable. Take for example that you're in a workplace. The standard of dress and behaviour is conservative, tight-lipped and stolid. The culture is formed by these values and the whole company keeps, up, keeps a stringent approach to the way in which all employees conduct themselves. If you arrive to your interview in neat casual clothes, showing off your undercut and subtle tattoos and talking about your strong anti-capitalist ideals, it very well may be that you won't be employed. Not because you're unskilled or unqualified, but, be, but because you don't fit into the culture that they've created. There is nothing wrong with their culture. There is nothing wrong with you and your ideals. There is just a mismatch of values and standards. If you then take it personally that they won't accept you in that workplace, then you are setting yourself up for a low self-esteem binge session. If, on the other hand, they somehow employ you and then you are shaped by the environment to the point of losing yourself, then once again, a low self-esteem tornado is on its way. But if you're picking up your kids from school, there are five minutes in the day where the other guardians are chit-chatting about right-wing politics that you heavily disagree with, then you can opt out of building any long-term deep friendships with them, but still remain amicable and friendly. The amount of time that you need to spend shaping yourself or fitting in is limited and therefore is part of being a functional member of society rather than a sacrifice of your integrity and self-worth. The ultimate aim here is to seek to, sorry, the ultimate aim here is to seek Belonging overfitting in. Belonging requires us to be our truest and most authentic selves so that no matter where we go, who we're with and what we're doing, we belong to ourselves. Just like Maya Angelou described to us many pages ago. Finding a tribe of people who share similar values, hobbies, ideas and drive will help to build a sense of community within your being. But if you still don't belong to yourself, you will forever remain in a state of chasing and longing. Ah. Oh. 
Beautiful. We did have a request. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Beck. Beck said, thank you, Luna. Being a Melbourneian in lockdown, this has been the best for me. Oh, I'm so glad. I've loved and cried and loved through the whole night. Love you, Beck. You don't need good luck, Luna. You're smashed out of the park, darling. Thank you for tonight. Yeah, beautiful. Immerse yourself in that book, honey. I love you so much. Thank you for being here. Still can't drink and talk at the same time. <laughs> Ventriloquist can. It's quite amazing. Not a talent I'm ever going to look at doing. I'm learning Spanish and the piano, but ventriloquism doesn't really float my boat. <clears throat> Page 111. I'm going to start on 110 because it makes more sense. What we focus on is what we get to the exclusion of all else. Read that again a few times and reflect upon what you think that means. What we focus on is what we get to the exclusion of all else. When you focus on what is shit in your life, you're going to see more shit. When you focus on what is glorious in your life, you will notice more of what is glorious. So it's critical that we become aware of where our focus is. If we don't, then the autopilot clicks into action and we revert to the old belief systems that we were raised with. We must be careful here and create a distinction between focus and awareness. There is a sentiment in the personal and spiritual development world that lends itself to the notion of good vibes only. It's like we only want to see what's good in our world and not let any negativity, um, not let any negativity, oh yeah, sorry, there's a comma. <laughs> Um, it's getting late. It's like we only want to see what's good in our world and not let in any negativity. But this in and of itself is problematic. Yes, choosing to focus on what is good in your life will help you see more things that are good. But completely ignoring what's not great is toxic and somewhat delusional. You cannot positive think your way out of bad circumstances. Practice being aware of negative circumstances, yet direct your focus on what you want to see more of. You're not denying anything, but you're also not inviting more of it into your life by focusing on it. So directing your focus is not about cruising around your garden of life and pretending that there are no weeds and constantly having positive thinking. I think that it is avoidant at best and denial at worst. No, channeling our focus is about walking out into the garden of our lives and realising that despite there being weeds, work to be done and progress to be made, we are still incredibly grateful to have a garden at all. We notice how fertile the ground must be to produce those weeds that need removing. We can appreciate that the grass is overgrown because we have an adequate sunshine and rain. Does it still suck that the grass is overgrown and the weeds are threatening everything else in the garden? Of course. You will still need to make amends to the things that need attention. But utilising our focus means that the meaning we are placing on the state of our garden is directed consciously by us and not directed by an autopilot reaction that we developed in the early imprinting days of yonder. In order for us to really make our lives full of self-love, we need to create a meaningful and happy life in which we feel like we are in the driver's seat and not being led by invisible beliefs and triggers that catch us unaware. To do this, we need to direct our focus consciously. People who learn to control inner experience will be able to determine the quality of their lives, which is as close as any of us come to being happy. Mahali Csikszentmihalyi. In his book, Flow, Mahali Csikszentmihalyi speaks to the absurd amount of information that we as humans receive every second of every day and how our brains arrange that information to tell according to how we tell it to. 
He stated there are over 2 million bits of information coming to us every second. And if that seems like a lot, think about how you don't usually feel the clothing, the clothing on your skin or notice your fingernails growing or the particles in the air changing with the afternoon sun. We may not be able to consciously perceive 2 million bits of information at the same time, but the mind is aware of it. It literally said head, head explodes, by the way. <laughs> I know. So naturally, for our brains at this stage of our evolution to even begin to function with that much information, it needs to do some prioritizing. So it breaks down those 2 million bits of information into chunks of 132 bits per second. Now, if that seems like a lot more manageable chunks in comparison to the 2 million, you'd be right. But we are still extremely far off the mark when it comes to what we are actually currently capable of processing. The brain further chunks it down and eventually we are left with a whopping seven chunks of information, plus or minus two at any given time. So sometimes it's five and sometimes it's nine, but let's call it seven. With only seven chunks of information actually processed by us at any given time, chunked down from two million, we can see how our focus begins to become a vital part in how we use our brain. The brain does not have a particular bias as to what seven chunks it uses, but simply takes our instruction as a guide for that. It does this in three distinct ways. I'm not going to continue on about bit because it gets quite wordy and you're going to learn from it yourself. What I want to highlight with that is that, is that when you hear that kind of spiritual thing of where focus goes, energy flows kind of vibe, it's your mind is like Google. But even more complex, if you type into Google and you say red car, you're going to have millions of searches of red car, right? But if you search for red 1978 Corvette, Melbourne for sale, you're going to have a lot more honed in experience. And we get to do that with our brains. If our brains, if our minds are not primed to, to I'm going to start that again. If we do not choose where our brain is focusing, it's just going to take this to those seven chunks from your childhood. <laughs> if you haven't done any work to rewire those thoughts and those thinking, it's just going to take what you learned as a kid. Yeah. And think about that. That's what most people are doing. This is unconsciousness. Most people are cruising around with a map of reality that was created when there were no more than seven. That's the presidents, that's the prime ministers, that's your bosses, that's your loved ones. Most people are cruising around that unconscious that their whole lives are being played out by, by a, a really old set of belief systems. And in the book, I teach you how to change it. <laughs> really, how to change that focus, how to, you know, for those of you who already work with me, I already do a lot for this for you already. But the reality is, is that you get to decide those chunks, those chunks of information you get to decide. And the cool thing is with chunks, if you think about it, when all of you first started to learn how to drive, how much concentration did it take? Can I just get like a, like, like a big, like lots? It took a lot, right? You couldn't do anything. You, you could barely, and particularly those of you who learned to drive a manual, you're like, hang on, clutch and foot at the same time as gear and indicator and mirror check every three seconds? It was completely overwhelming. Now, tell me, after many, many years of competency, how good are you at driving your car, maybe checking your phone, maybe eating your dinner, 
maybe <laughs> because what's happened when we first learn a new skill, it's going to take up the full seven chunks. The full seven chunks are going to be take up in a new skill. You won't be able to concentrate on anything else. But once you become very competent at it, your brain just is looking for the shortest path. It doesn't, it's, it's not discriminatory in your mind. Your mind just is looking for the shortest path to, to whatever behavior you're asking for. So if you retrain your brain, you can then do things in a whole nother chunk. So now driving only takes up one chunk, maybe half a chunk, and you've got all the other chunks free. But it wasn't like that in the beginning. Now that you're competent at it, you can become unconsciously competent at it. So you just do it automatically. That is autopilot. But the, but the truth is most people haven't retrained their autopilot. So if your autopilot is self-hate, I'm a piece of shit, I'm not worthy, then that's always going to be an autopilot. But you can rewrite it 100%. I love it. Luna, I've got to go, sweetheart. I'm so tired. I'm going to go too. I'm so tired too. I'm like, my voice is croaky. I, I, I feel like I'm going to go as well. So thank you. My oh, gosh, thank you, everybody. Thank you for your support. Thank you for everything. And keep it going too, please. The, 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 the buildup of this, if you can continue to spread this over the weekend, but it's, I'm going to keep it at 99 cents for the whole weekend. So if you can spread that around as much as possible, the more rankings that it happens, this, just the best. And I, I thank each and every single one of you for being here tonight. I can't believe I wrote a damn book. <laughs> <laughs> I know if you want to talk, let me know. But yeah, thank you, thank you all. If anyone else wants to talk, you're welcome to right now. Thank Bye, you. darling. I'll see you tomorrow. My battery's going low. Bye, Jane. Bye, all the lovely, lovely other people. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Mama. Love you. Bye. I love you too, baby. Bye, bye. <laughs> thank you, Jane. Thank you, Hal. Thanks, Georgie, Holly, Nicole, everybody watching on Facebook. Thank you to my beautiful sister, Jack. What a profile pic. Dang, girl. I love it. I love it. I wonder if my phone has any battery. It has a little bit. I'm going to go check it out because apparently I'm sixth on Amazon, right? <laughs> I'm going to go have a look at Dishon Celebrations. I love you all. Thank you so much for being here. So much appreciated. Good night. Love you, Jack. Stay on, Jack. Stay on for a second, Jack. <laughs>